Thank you, brothers, and uh, good to see you all. I'll double Nathan's welcome to you all, and uh, I like what he said. We hope to see you soon if you're visiting with us on Living Word Live. Let's uh, look to the Lord. Oh, Father God, you are so gracious to look in our direction, to pay attention to us in our needy state. And you say, O Lord, that you will look to the one who trembles at your word and who has a contrite spirit before you. And we come to you with that broken spirit this morning and hungry for your word. And we ask you to have your way in the name of Jesus. Amen. Before we start, I'd just like to make a comment that's uh, so serious and so grievous, but I really don't want to ignore the situation. As I'm sure you're aware, 10 people were shot down in Buffalo yesterday. And uh, it's just uh, evil at work, pure evil. And this is what happens when you have a long history of not teaching the fear of God. Evil begins to multiply and abound. And I understand that this was specifically a hate crime against African-American men and women, children, African-American people. It's just pure evil. It's a manifestation of hell on earth. I want to tell you, our church has been historically white in the majority. But I don't care what happens to it racially in the future. I don't care if we have more black people than white people here, as long as we have more saved people here. Amen? More saved people. We don't care if, there are more, if the Hispanics outnumber the white, if the Asians outnumber the white, if the blacks outnumber the white, if the refugees outnumber the nationals. We just want the citizens of heaven to outnumber everyone. Citizens of heaven, children of God. Jesus loves all races and all peoples equally. Hallelujah. All men are created by God in the image of God. Praise God. So grievous, isn't it? But I did want to make that statement. Let's go now in the Word of God to where we've been recently uh, in Judges chapter 6 and studying about Gideon. I'd like to return to the subject of Gideon this morning. And to uh, a section here that we kind of skipped over very quickly. Didn't pay a lot of attention to it. I know I mentioned it, but we skipped over it quite quickly, and that's in Judges chapter 6. We'll start reading here at verse 25. It says, And it came to pass that same night that the Lord said unto him, Take thy father's young bullock, 
even the second bullock of seven years old, and throw down the altar of Baal that thy father hath, and cut down the grove that is by it, and build an altar unto the Lord thy God upon the top of this rock in the ordered place, and take the second bullock and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the grove which thou shalt cut down. Then Gideon took ten men of his servants and did as the Lord had said unto him. And so it was because he feared his father's household and the men of the city that he could not do it by day, that he did it by night. I'll stop there for now. We've been studying Gideon for a couple of weeks now. And we see how the Lord has helped Gideon go from a man hiding in fear to a man man who's a hero of faith, from hiding in fear to hero of faith. He's uh, named a man of faith in uh, Hebrews chapter 11 in the New Testament. He was a hard sell, though, as I've been saying. He had actually wilted. He had, he had totally wilted. He was in a surrendered state. He had surrendered to the oppression of the tribe of the Midianites. They're called the Midianites. And the word Midianite would be easily recognizable to anybody who spoke ancient Hebrew back in those days because the word is, it's a Hebrew word and it means arguers, contentious ones. People of contention. And, you know, it makes the story of Gideon so relevant and so current because we live in a a society that is so filled with contentions, do we not? How are we supposed to make the world more just? Many people have their ideas. People are espousing their insights about the love of mankind. But they're so divergent. There are so many religions in this world that we've now become aware of. So many denominations of Christianity. So many ways of worshiping. So many ideas about how to live right. So many contentions and arguments about all of this stuff that we might finally despair Amid all the arguing, we might ourselves wilt and hide. What are we supposed to do? Get political. That's what some people are saying. Preach louder and preach to people. That's what some people are saying. Maybe retreat, circle the wagons, just hang in there quietly. Get yourself to heaven. That's your problem. Get yourself to heaven. Maybe take a family member or two with you. People can despair and wilt and wonder, is there anybody who's really believing nowadays? Is there anybody who's really living the life? It's quite a situation that we're in. It's a confusing situation that may cause us to hide in privacy. Seek some shade as Gideon did when he tried to thresh wheat in a wine press. 
His example is very relevant to us. Jesus described the days that were coming prior to his second return, to his return. He said that the love of many Christians would grow cold because iniquity would multiply in the world. Sin would multiply, so Christians would grow cold in their love. They'd give up, you might say. He's predicted that there would be massive deceptions in his name. The Apostle Paul predicted that there would be a a falling away from the faith. Jesus wondered about his return to the earth. He, He referred to himself, you might say, in the third person. Will the Son of Man find faith in the earth when he returns? Or will even his people wilt and hide and give up? This morning I'd like to talk to you about two points. The first one is how Gideon's destruction of these idols in his home, in his home city, and on his family property how his destruction of these idols represents a spiritual example to us. And secondly, I'd like to shed some light on the subject of self-idolatry, the idolatry of self. So as promised first, let's talk about Gideon's story. We've moved very quickly in the last couple of weeks through the account and highlighted only a few details. Let me give you a reminder that The Lord, in Gideon's story, gave Gideon a lot of help to believe. God gave him a lot of support. First of all, the angel of the Lord visits him, you know, face to face, right there. And we uh, didn't really spend any time on it, but Gideon basically begs the angel of the Lord to remain with him until Gideon has had a chance to make him a dinner And so Gideon makes him a dinner, but the angel of the Lord does not consume the dinner like I do on Sunday afternoon, you know, bending over my bowl and just chomping away. Instead, the angel of the Lord touched the dinner and it was consumed in fire in a moment. Now, that would help and support Gideon's faith, wouldn't it? That would help him to have some hope and stop hiding, and to start coming out and serving the Lord. You can see that in chapter 6, verses 17 to 24. One thing that most of us are already familiar with in in the Lord's support of Gideon's faith are the so-called fleeces. They're handfuls of wool. And uh, first, Gideon put a handful of wool outside his tent and ask the Lord, let the wool be soaking wet on a bone-dry desert night. And it was. Then I suppose Gideon wondered if maybe somebody came along and dumped a bucket of water on the wool. So he says, now Lord, do the opposite. The next night, do the opposite. Let it be a dewy night where everything is covered with dew and moisture, but let the handful of wool be dry. 
Now, that would be very hard to uh, accomplish in, in the ancient days before the advent of the blow dryer. And the Lord gave him those signs. That would support Gideon's faith. And last week we looked at the the sign that the Lord gave to Gideon. He said, go down to the Midianite camp, listen in to the Midianite conversations. And incredibly, so unlikely, Gideon overhears at the very moment that he sneaks into the Midianite camp, he overhears one guy telling another guy his dream about a barley loaf rolling into the Midianite camp and destroying a tent. And the man interprets the dream this way. That barley loaf is Gideon and his army. That would encourage Gideon as well. Amen? Today, we're backing up a little bit. We're backing up and covering something that took place after the dinner, but before the fleeces. And before the dream of the barley loaf. This is before Gideon, God gave Gideon the fleeces. And this is before Gideon smashed the ceramic jars to uncover the torches and blew the trumpets and, and set the Gideon, the, I'm sorry, the Midianite army running. This is before all that. So we're backing up. We should have done this first. My bad, but we're doing it now. The Lord wanted to get something in order with Gideon. Before he took him forward in overthrowing the oppression of the Midianites, the Lord wanted to get something straight. First things first. It's as though the Lord is telling him, I'm going to help you, but you must do this first. You have to conquer your fear this much. You have to destroy the idols that are on your property. The idol of Baal and the idol of Asherah. You must do this essential thing. Oh, you might be so afraid to do it that you do it at night. I'll accept that, but you've got to do it. We might say that the Lord would not negotiate on this. That Gideon was not going to go another step forward until he took care of this issue. The Lord wanted to know if Gideon was committed. Are you committed? He had to throw down the altar of Baal. You see that in verse 25. He had to cut down and burn the wooden grove. In the King James, it's called a grove. Most modern translations will say the Asherah pole. The Hebrew for grove is Asherah. It's the name of the Canaanite goddess that they would honor with a wooden totem pole. And we, if we're familiar with the Old Testament, we see that this wooden totem pole became a snare to the Israelites for hundreds of years. And it brought down Solomon, David's son. And this Baal 
our altar, an altar to the Canaanite god Baal, and this wooden totem pole to honor the Canaanite goddess Asherah were on Gideon's own family plot. They were on his father's property that would be his one day. Baal and Asherah were a couple in the pantheon of the Canaanites. They were a couple. They were a male and female deities that were often occurred together. The male and female deities of the Canaan land. These uh, deities were fascinating to the uh, people of the land, and they became fascinating to Israel. But God wasn't fascinated by them. He was offended by them. Baal would be depicted with one hand up, ready to strike and show his power. Asherah would be depicted with exaggerated sexuality. Fascinating to people. Offensive to God. And now God is telling Gideon, first things first, Gideon, if I'm going to go forward with you, you have got to get rid of these idols. The same was true of Josiah, the king of Judah. The same was true of Hezekiah, the king of Judah. Get rid of the altars to the foreign gods that do not belong in Israel. Start there. Today, I'm going to also challenge you to destroy the idol that is in your home. It wants to exist in your home alongside the worship of Jesus. But it doesn't belong there. And today I want to talk to you about the idol of self. Self has become the great object of worship in the West. What do I mean by the West? I mean in Europe and in the Americas. And it is spreading all over the world. The worship of self as the internet makes Western culture so accessible and tantalizing and fascinating to the entire world. The entire world is headed toward this unanimous worship of self. And significantly, the worship of self has already gained a great foothold among Christians and in churches. And it competes, the worship of self competes with the worship of Jesus. There is a mix of the worship of Jesus and the idolatry of self. And I'm going to explain as we go along this morning. I'll explain shortly what I'm talking about. I hope you're interested this morning because this is a very important last day's message. This is an important end times message. Verse 28 says, Judges 6, 28, When the men of the city arose early in the morning, behold, the altar of Baal was cast down, and the grove, or the Asherah pole, was cut down that was by it, and the second bullock was offered upon the altar that was built. And they said to one another, Who hath done this thing? And when they acquired an ass, they said, Gideon, 
the son of Joash hath done this thing. Then the men of the city said unto Joash, Bring out thy son, that he may die, because he hath cast down the altar of Baal, and because he hath cut down the Asherah pole, or the grove that was by it. And Joash said unto all that stood against him, Will ye plead for Baal? Will ye save him? He that will plead for him, let him be put to death while it is yet morning. If he be a god, let him plead for himself. Because one hath cast down his altar. Therefore on that day he called him Jerubbaal. Gideon was called Jerubbaal, which means to contend with Baal. All right, Midianites, you want to contend? I'll contend too, and I'm going to contend with Baal. Gideon was called Jerubbaal, and the saying was, at the end of verse 32, let Baal plead against him because he had thrown down his altar. Now I want to give you a little encouragement here. If, if you and your family take a stand against idolatry, you may do that with some fear and trepidation. You may wonder if you will be, uh, if the response to you will be in your own family, hatred or shunning. It happens. Our own families can shun us because of the stand that we take in Christ. It happens. Jesus said it would happen. He said, I, I, I came to bring a sword between mother and a daughter and a son-in-law against his mother-in-law. And a, on and on he goes. The Lord's not fooling around. He wants commitment. But here's the encouragement. You may also meet with support and gratitude. Amazingly, unexpectedly, Gideon's father stood up for Gideon and said, you know, my son is right. We've been worshiping Baal and Asherah unthinkingly, irrationally, stupidly, kind of getting into it, and our son has now challenged it, and you know what? He's right. That's pretty neat. That's encouraging. That was a surprise. We're not explained how they got there. It's not explained to us how the altar of Baal and the Asherah pole got in Joash property. And here's the thing. The story really doesn't matter. How it got there doesn't matter to God. He really doesn't want to stand by and listen to us patiently while we explain how this situation came to pass. Okay, however it came to pass, does it belong there? Should it be there? Should you get rid of it? Okay, let's get down to the, the matters that, what really matters here. Get rid of it. There is going to be no justifying story. There's no story that's going to justify this altar to Baal and this Asherah pole on your property. So the man Gideon thought might oppose him, verse 27 says, he feared his father's household. Turns out they defended him. 
Okay, this is quite a, a lesson to us as Christians that we need to take care of right off the bat. If we're going to go further with the Lord, we have to take care of idolatry in our lives. Take care of uh, idolatry in our, in our property, so to speak. In our homes. The Lord doesn't really care how it got there. The backstory is not going to justify it. He's not going to say, oh, is that how it got there? Then I... I Let's, let's not worry about it then. He's not going to say that. He's going to be rather matter-of-fact about it and say, get rid of idolatry in your home, in your heart, on your property. Get rid of idolatry. As I said, I'm already to the second part of my message. I want to shed some light on the subject of self-idolatry because I think that's the idolatry that we face. In Canaan land, they face the idolatry of Baal. And they face the idolatry of Asherah. In America, we face the idolatry of self. And I'd like to talk to you about what self-worship looks like. We might first have a vision of, our, of uh, Narcissus, the, 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 the Greek uh, god who caught an image of himself in the water uh, of a stream as he was passing by. He's passing by the stream, and he caught a glimpse of himself in the stream. And he goes, oh, who's that handsome dude? And he went over there, and he couldn't take his eyes off himself. And he pined away. And the gods, in order to be merciful to him, turned him into a flower, which today we know as the Narcissus flower. And we know this psychological condition is called narcissism. Excessive love of self. And there have been numerous books written about the narcissism, the runaway narcissism in our culture. In, in our American culture and in the culture of the West. There's Christopher Lash, uh, wrote some years ago, The Culture of Narcissism. There's Gene Twenge, who's written three uh, books, uh, most recently, uh, The Narcissism Epidemic. It's been studied in detail. Stuck in front of a mirror? Well, sort of, but I don't think that's quite going to bring it home to you, I think it means to be stuck in front of your own dreams for your life. Stuck in front of your own imaginings for yourself in action. Being super keen on your own feelings and needs. Much more likely to be an inner view, a view that's turned inward would you go to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1? Are you with me? Are you listening? You think it's important? 2 Timothy 3, 1, we uh, have read this so many times. It says, For this know that in the last days perilous times shall come. And verse 2, if I can find it, there we go. Verse 2 says, for men shall be lovers of their own selves. Let's just stop right there. There it is. Self-love. 
There it is. Selfishness. There it is. The idolatry of self. Men will be lovers of their own selves. Verse 4 says, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. This is self-love turned up too high. Elevated to the demotion of God. That's the problem. God demoted by self-love. Are we against all self-love? Of course not. Are we against all self-interest? Of course not. We're not against all self-interest and self-love. Love your neighbor as yourself. That means you have to love yourself. We understand that. But if you turn the dial up too high on self-love, you demote God. Look at what this says. Dangerous times would come because men would be lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. They would be lovers of themselves. These are perilous times. These are dangerous times that come at the end of the age. It's a matter of how much you love what. Self-idolatry is the excessive love of self. We all walk past a mirror and say, well, we don't all. Hey, I'm looking good. Yeah. But if you walk past a mirror and you catch a glimpse of yourself and you say, yeah, I'm looking good today, and then you keep on walking, keep on walking to the rest of your duties that day, to the rest of your responsibilities, focus, don't be like Narcissus, get out of there. You'll know that self-love has grown out of balance if you start consulting your feelings more than the Word of God. More than the Word of God and above the Word of God. Above God, in other words, you consult your feelings, your intuitions, your preferences, the I part seems so essential to us. I am, we might say, I am my dignity. I live for this purpose to establish my dignity. We've heard this statement. It uh, can boggle your mind, and I, I hope you aren't offended that I quote it. This statement. I am a woman trapped in a man's body. This is part of the uh, transgender uh, agenda, this kind of statement. I'm a woman trapped in a man's body. What is being elevated there? My feeling. My intuition. My pleasure. Ahead of. The expectations of God who made me. Ahead of God. Ahead of the word of God. Brothers and sisters, do not interpret this statement as just a morality gone loose. Because it is not. It is not morality gone loose. In fact, this is a new, fierce morality. 
a fierce morality that has made its way to the Supreme Court of the United States of America that is now protected by federal law, which is now protected in all federal programs. People's right to say, I am a man trapped in a woman's body. I'm a woman trapped in a man's body. The feelings of the individual have been elevated above the will and the revealed will of God in his word. It is a morality. It is a radical morality. It is a fierce morality because now in our land and in much of the West, people who say this, they're protected by law. You can't even get away with saying to them, I don't want to bake you a cake. I'm a baker, but I don't want to bake you a cake for your wedding. I'm I'm not into that. I don't believe in that. That's a violation of my uh, religious rights. I don't want to, I'm a florist, but I don't want to do the flower arrangements on your wedding. You can't even do that without a challenge in our nation. That's how fierce the morality is. It's live and let live. Oh no, it's not live and let live. This has been elevated to the level of idolatry. It is protected in the public schools. School kids can now elevate their feelings, their intuitions, their pleasures. And the boys can go in the girls' room. And the girls can go in the boys' room. And they can dictate to everybody what pronouns they are used in reference to them. Don't call me a he, I'm a she. Well, you look like a he. No, I'm a she. Many of you work in job places where you have to be careful about the pronouns you use. This is, this is not just loose morality. This is, this is tight. This is tight. This is wrapped up tight. This is protected. This is fierce. This is enforced. And it's not my mission to talk about transgender this or homosexual that or anything. My mission this morning is to talk to you about the idolatry of self because we can let it right in our own homes and right in our own church when we start to elevate our feelings, our intuitions, our pleasures above the Word of God. Can I hear an amen? It's not so simple as being morally loose or morally liberal. I know, we don't think about this stuff all the time. We're, not, we're, not, we're just offended with it all the time, not thinking about it all the time, but it's actually protected thinking. Individuals' feelings ahead of God's law. It is not a change, brothers and sisters, listen to me, it is not just a change in ethics. It's not just a change in laws. It, in, foundationally, it is a change in worship. It is founded in a change of worship. From the worship and fear of God, from trembling before his word, to the worship of feelings. The elevation of feelings. We've got quite a challenge ahead of us, brothers and sisters, in this church. 
at Living Word Academy and Living Word Church. We have quite a challenge ahead of us because the exaltation of our God is going to be challenged by the exaltation of individual feelings. When is a baby, a soul, a real person, made in the image of God? Is that to be decided by that baby's mother's feelings? Her feelings and her intuitions? Does she get to make that decision about the baby that's inside her simply because the baby is inside her? Her feelings? Her intuitions, her pleasures, her convenience. Do you see? It's worship of self. It's putting self ahead of God. Doesn't God have something to say about this? When the when the sperm and the egg join and they're conceived, and doesn't God get to say something about when that, beco- when that uh, event becomes a living soul? People are loving themselves. I mean, they're really loving themselves rather than loving God. It is worship, brothers and sisters. It's a shift in worship. That's what it is at its heart. People are making decisions based on feelings and intuitions and pleasures instead of the love of God. And people are going to call this noble. They're going to call it respectable. They're going to say, I am searching for my authentic self. My personal dignity weighs heavier than any loyalty, than my faithfulness, than my honor toward anyone else. And that winds up including God. Brothers and sisters, this morning I am not preaching to John Roberts and the Supreme Court of the United States of America. I don't see them here in front of me, do you? I'm not preaching to them. I'm not preaching to the New York State Legislature. Kathy Hochul is not here in front of me. Governor Hochul is not here in front of me. I'm preaching to you. The Church of the Lord Jesus Christ. How many of you are saved? Are you worshipers of the Lord? Be careful that you keep him elevated and do not begin to elevate your own feelings, your own intuitions, your own pleasures. It's deadly. And it is going to be the challenge of the end age. The search for the authentic self. My authentic self. i got to tell you, I'm not that interested in my authentic self. I'd much rather find my authentic Jesus Christ. The authentic Son of God. The authentic Word of God. People are, you see what it says, what's dangerous about the last times is that people will love themselves. They will love pleasure more than love God. I understand that Christians are just like not really thinking this through. They don't know really where this all came from. We can actually do a 
uh, a dissertation or a book or something like that to explain how this all happened, how it all took place. We can go back hundreds of years and and say how this love of self became rooted in Western culture, Western thinking, the American university, the media. It's everywhere in our culture, this worship of the self. We could, talk, we could tell the story, but I'll remind you of Gideon. The, the story of how the altar of Baal got on their property, the story of how the Asherah pole got on his father's property was never addressed because it didn't matter. The thing was, tear it down. And I understand Christians aren't really thinking this through and they're not really questioning how this came about. People are figuring, hey, I go to church. I claim the Bible is God's word. You know, that's part of my official statement of creed. The Bible is God's word. And I sing some touching songs about Jesus. Maybe I do some community service from time to time. The thing is that even among many Christians, everything must be on their authentic self terms. So many churches are opening up to sex outside of marriage. Many churches are opening up to homosexuality. And they're opening up to these things not because they're just morally loose, That's not the explanation. What's going on is that they are elevating the search for the quote-unquote authentic self. Side by side with the worship of Jesus is the more important thing to them that they feel affirmed. That they feel affirmed. That they feel empowered that they're searching for their authentic self. How many popular singers today in the popular singing world got their start in the churches? It's, it's, It's more than half of them, I think. So right in the churches, they began their epic search for their authentic self, which took them right out of the church. Let's go to Matthew chapter 4, verse 8. This is when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights before he started his public ministry. Matthew 4, verse 8. It says here... Oh. Mark, Matthew. Does it matter? Of course. Matthew 4... Verse 8, again, the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. And saith unto him, all these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then said Jesus unto him, get thee hence, Satan, For it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. And then the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. So the devil shows him the kingdoms of the world. Were the kingdoms of the world part of the Son of God's destiny? 
Is he going to have the kingdoms of the world? Is he going to rule over the kingdoms of the world? In other words, the devil was tempting him with something that was very dear to Jesus' heart. This was Jesus' destiny. It was his personal and individual destiny to inherit power over all the kingdoms of the earth. When he came back and he was resurrected, he said, all authority over heavens and the earth has been given unto me. It was given to him, right? But three three years and change prior to that, when the devil tempted him with something that was very dear to his heart, he must have been really touched by what the devil showed him. It was like touching his future destiny. It was like touching his dream. It's your dream, Jesus. It's your destiny, Jesus. Go for it, man. But Jesus said, no, you shall worship the Lord, and serve Him only. I am not here to serve myself. I am not here to pursue my personal destiny. I am not here to pursue my own feelings and my own intuitions. You're touching my destiny. You're touching my intuitions. You're touching my feeling. But I'm telling you right now, I worship God. Not you, not my destiny, not me. I don't worship me. I worship God and I serve Him alone. Notice that this is at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, right? Notice what Gideon had to do at the beginning of his ministry. First things first. If you're going to go forward in ministry... Take care of first things first. Get rid of the idolatry. Tear it down. Throw it down. Burn it up. Destroy it. All of it. For us, for Gideon it was Baal and Asherah. For us, it's self. It's self. You got to get the best of that if you're going to go into ministry. The devil was touching something inside Jesus. Touching something deep in his heart. This was a powerful temptation for Jesus. Because the devil was just turning up the clock a little bit. He was just saying, let's let's hurry this along a little bit. You're going to get all the kingdoms. Let's hurry this along. Jesus said, no, I'm not hurrying anything along. I'll just wait. Myself can wait. I will worship God and serve him only. God is first, not me. Jesus is showing us the way to go, isn't he? Would you go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3? 2 Thessalonians 2, 3. This is another end times verse. Very uh, scary, uh, important description of the events of the last days. The very last days before Jesus returns to this world. And 2 Thessalonians 2.3 refers not to Christ, but the anti-Christ. The polar opposite of Christ. 2 Thessalonians 2.3 says, Let no man deceive you by any means... For that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, 
and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. This is a reference to the Antichrist. The man of sin, the son of perdition, is the Antichrist. And verse 4 says, who opposeth and exalteth himself. He exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped. So that he is God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Well, he is really lying to himself, isn't he? The Antichrist is the opposite of Christ. He is going to want worship of himself. He is going to exalt himself. Brothers and sisters, this man of perdition is going to be a great world leader and very powerful in the world. And see, he he is going to have access to that kind of audience. He is going to have appeal, appeal, interest, fascination by that huge worldwide audience because he exalts himself. That will be the flavor of the age. The flavor of the age will be the worship of self, the idol of self. He will be the best example of it on the face of the planet, the Antichrist. The idolatry of self brings about the motive I must seek my authentic self, which is self-worship, self-seeking. It exists in the church where people can say, I must seek my authentic Christian self. I say, so what? You've turned the word Christian into an adjective on self. The heart of that statement is still, I must seek myself. It's not prettied up by throwing the word Christian in the middle of the sentence, by throwing the word Jesus in the middle of the sentence. Self says, I am not going to honor my history. I am not going to honor my testimony. I'm not going to honor my parents, my church, or my schooling. I am not a person of honor. In fact, I am a person of self-respect. My authentic self deserves dignity. But Proverbs 28, 26 says, He that trusteth in his own heart is a fool. When we embark on this tantalizing search for the authentic self, we are elevating our own feelings and pleasures above God. Sensual, sinful pleasures, well, obviously it may come to that, as it has with the uh, homosexual and the transgender movements and so on. It has become sensual and sinful. For the Christian, maybe it won't become that at first, even though the lusts of the flesh will loom in the dark behind it, It will replace the worship of God with my tastes, my intuitions, my feelings, my preferences, my styles. I've got to be me. The search for the authentic self is a refrain in popular media, in movies, plays, novels, comic strips, poetry, television. It's the quest 
It's the mission of the public school. Find yourself. It is filtered down to the public schools from the American University, which seeks literally to destroy your spiritual foundation and rebuild from scratch with self at the center. I looked up on the internet uh, great quotes about seeking oneself and honoring oneself. These come from people like Ashley Graham, Beyonce, Coco Chanel, Eckhart Tolle, Ellen DeGeneres, Lucille Ball, Madonna, Oprah Winfrey, Queen Latifah, Yoko Ono. To find a hundred of them is no problem at all. They're rather trite. But they can be rather distracting. Here are some of them. I want women to know that they can get out of any situation if they return to their core strength themselves. If there's one thing I'm willing to bet on, it's myself. Beauty begins the moment you decide to be yourself. Find out who you are and be that person. Find that truth. Live that truth and everything else will come. Keep taking your time until you're you again. Love yourself first and everything else falls in line. I am my own experiment. I am my own work of art. I was once afraid of saying, who does she think she is? Now I have the courage to stand and say, this is who I am. Be bold. Be brave enough to be your true self. Make peace with your broken pieces. You change the world by being yourself. Owning our story and loving ourselves through that process is the bravest thing that you'll ever do. I think the bravest thing that Gideon ever did was tear down his own father's altar of Baal and Asherah pole. And then he went on to do even braver things yet in the service and worship of God. If you ask me who is the bravest, least selfish man that ever lived, I would tell you, Jesus Christ, bar none, there is none like him, there is no one near him, there is no one worthy to undo the the latches on his sandals. He is so unselfish, he is so brave, he is so patient. He put his father first. All these statements, you know, you can find on the internet. Uh, You say, well, Brother Brian, let's think about what Latifah said. Queen Latifah. Let's think about what she said. I'm really not interested. You you can. I, I don't want to. Can I find something here that I agree with? I suppose... Do I have an argument with every word that every one of them said? I suppose not. But you know what? I really don't care. It's not the words of Jesus. It's not the word of God. It's not leading me to heaven. It's not leading me to the worship of God. It's going to elevate myself too much. I'm not interested. You got to be careful what novels you are reading. 
You got to be careful what books you are reading. You got to be careful what movies you're watching. You got to be careful what uh, mottos and proverbs you have going around in your head. The proverb from this book says, He who trusts in his own heart is a fool. That's what this proverb says. That's not Queen Latifah. That's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords telling us that. When we read Judges chapter 6, we see that the angel of the Lord told Gideon to offer a sacrifice. This was in Judges 6, 26, in the ordered place. Not the way you want to. Not where you want to. Not how you want to. In the ordered place. We can wonder, oh man, but sometimes things have got to change. Sometimes we, we embark on a, a wrong road and we get stuck right there in a rut and things have got to change. I say amen, amen, amen. Gideon was a revolutionary in Israel. But he wasn't a revolutionary in doing his own thing and following his own desires and his own pleasures. He was a revolutionary in returning people's hearts to the worship of God. Jesus upset the apple cart. Jesus was a revolutionary, but he didn't teach us to be more true to our authentic self. He taught us to be more true to God. His first sermon was repent. Repent. I once uh, did a study on a saying of Jesus where he says, if any man come after me, let him deny himself. He says, if any man save his life, he'll lose it. If he loses his life for my sake, he'll save it. I found that that was the most repeated word teachings of Jesus. I found eight or ten different situations, different times when Jesus said that same teaching. Would we, as 21st century Christians, so near to the coming of the Lord, would we like to find ten different places in the Gospels of the Lord Jesus Christ and tear out those pages? If any man comes after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me, right? Let him deny himself. That's the answer. The worship of God. The worship of the Holy One. Bowing to Him and His will. Okay, the front is open. If you need to pray, please, please do. Hallelujah. I hope you can excuse my seriousness and my fierceness today when you travel down, when you take down a highly esteemed idol. You don't do it giggling. Let's look to the Lord together. Oh Lord, we stand before you, the one who is worthy. We are not worthy. You are God. We are not. You are God. You are our Father in heaven. We are not God. We talk to you. We listen to you. We look to you. 
You save us. You have the way. You have the truth. We just want to be tuned in more to you, not to ourselves. I pray your grace be on all of us as we meditate on your word and make the changes we need to make. In the name of Jesus, amen. God bless you. Praise the Lord. We'll see you tonight for a prayer meeting tonight. Praise God.